calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Hey, so before we get into today's episode, I wanted to let you know about a podcast that I'm pretty sure you're going to like that is called Bad Women, hosted by historian Hallie Rubenhold. And if you're like, I recognize that name, that's because I recommended her book a few episodes ago. She wrote a book called The Five that was about five of the women who were killed by Jack the Ripper. And her podcast, Bad Women, expands on the same stuff that she talks about in her book. So on Bad Women... Historian Hallie Rubenhold uncovers the real lives of Jack the Ripper's victims, revealing the discrimination that put them in his path, the same sort of misogyny women still face today. This show challenges established theories about the murders, causing many supposed Ripper experts to see red. Find Bad Women wherever you get your podcasts. Like where you're listening to this, you can find Bad Women that same place. Hello, and welcome to Vulgar History, a feminist women's history comedy podcast. This is a Halloween super special, and I am Anne Foster. And when I was thinking of people to talk about for these Halloween episodes, again, you know, it's uh, it's a shame I've already done Elizabeth Bathory, but I feel like that's a good one to re-listen to if you haven't in a while, because the whole Lady Dracula angle, I mean, spoiler, she wasn't actually that but she has that reputation last week we looked at a an alleged witch elizabeth woodville and this week we are looking at mary shelley who wrote the famous genre inventing horror slash science fiction book frankenstein and if that wasn't enough reason to make this a halloween special the fact that she was literally like the original goth queen she was hanging out in old graveyards going on dates with her boyfriend and we'll get into that like at her mother's gravesite she was goth queen but as we are gonna learn in this episode she's also the mom friend of her group she was surrounded by chaotic people like the most chaotic people she could have been surrounded by growing up where she was at that time like that includes both her parents and her stepmother 
and she was just sort of like, is the eye of the storm a pertinent metaphor? That's what I keep thinking of. Where it's like everyone around her was the storm and she was in the middle of it just being like making sure everybody, you know, had dinner and drank water and like got naps when they needed to. So she's the goth queen mom friend. And that's who we're looking at today. So my major source for this episode is a biography that came out in 2018 called In Search of Mary Shelley by Fiona Sampson. It's such an interesting and unusual biography because Fiona Sampson is a poet, mostly. And she writes this biography, which is, again, called In Search of Mary Shelley. She's trying to find where Mary is in the existent records of her life because a lot of times the people around her would sort of subsume her. So anyway, it's it's a very interesting and unconventional biography. Super recommend. Link in the bio, in the um, show notes in Search of Mary Shelley by Fiona Sampson. I also looked at Wikipedia because Mary Shelley is famous enough to have some, like an actual entry there. Always a treat for me on this podcast. So Mary Shelley was born Mary Wollstonecraft Godwin was her name at birth in Somerstown, London in 1797. Her father was a philosopher, novelist, and journalist named William Godwin, and her mother was Mary Wollstonecraft, which, here we go. You really can't, I really can't talk about Mary Shelley without talking about Mary Wollstonecraft because this really helped shape a lot about what Mary Shelley got up to. So, Mary Wollstonecraft was an English writer, philosopher, and advocate of women's rights. She is regarded as one of the founding feminist philosophers. She wrote many sorts of things but is best known for her 1792 work, A Vindication of the Rights of Women, in which she argues that women are not naturally inferior to men, but appear to be only because they lack education. A shocking thing to say in 1792. Tragically still shocking in 2021. Mary Wollstonecraft suggests that both men and women should be treated as rational beings and imagines a social order founded on reason. Maybe that will happen one day, who knows? Mary Wollstonecraft, not just a notable feminist writer, but also personal life, scandaliciousness. She pursued a relationship with a married writer, Henry Fuseli, Fuseli, and even suggested a co-living arrangement with him and his wife. His wife was like, no thanks, and he dumped her to escape the humiliation. She fled to France, where the French Revolution was underway, because she was a fan of revolution. And I just, as a, as a choice... I mean, I have so much respect for the choice of like, she, she threw herself at this man. He was like, no thanks. And she's like, okay, I'm just going to go from England to France and the revolution. Cause that is how embarrassing what just happened was like, I can relate. So, and she was in France and it was cool being the revolution. She wrote stuff there. But then uh, when the revolutionaries took over, all foreigners were suddenly forbidden to leave France. Uh, she tried to leave France because a lot of her friends she'd made there were being executed, but she was stuck there. But, you know, silver lining, she fell in love with an American named Henry Imlay, with whom she had a daughter named Fanny. Imlay left her because he didn't like how maternal and domestic she became when she had a child. Like he thought she was going to be this like tits out what she was, but he thought she was going to just be this sort of like unconventional 
um, scandalous person, but she had, and she probably thought she was going to be too, but she had a daughter and she's like, guess what I want? Domestic life. So he left her because he didn't want that. But Mary Wollstonecraft, just like, oh, she needs just like friends. She needs a little sex in the city gang brunch to just be like, look at your choices. So she followed him back to London. I guess France let her leave. He rejected her again, and she attempted suicide in her depression. She did not complete suicide, um, kept writing, and became close to Henry Godwin, who she knew before and thought of sort of like a brother, but then I guess they fell for each other. She became pregnant, and then they got married, so their child would be legitimate because that would be good for the child's life in the society in which they lived. And that child was Mary Shelley, who is not Mary Shelley yet. She's Mary Wollstonecraft Godwin. So it's that thing where women in English history name their daughters after themselves, which again, I've said this numerous times in the, this podcast, bring that back. I love, I love a mother naming her daughter the same thing as her. But so tragically, Mary Wollstonecraft died Shortly after Mary was born, she died of that sort of infection you get where the doctor didn't wash his hands before dealing with her after birth, etc. So tragically preventable had doctors at this point believed in hand washing, which they did not. Um, a friend of mine who is a gynecologist told me they used to like go from dealing with like corpses to like shoving hands up in vaginal areas delivering babies and women died a lot of the time of infections and they were like can't be my fault so it sucks because she was this amazing revolutionary person this iconoclast and then she died in this awful way and we know a lot about her dying because her husband William Godwin wrote a whole sort of tribute to her explaining the minutia of how she died in childbirth and all the scandalous details of her life um, one, I'm just going to mention this. This is like on par with Mary Toft level distressing medical information. So, um, or what's it called? Trigger warning. This, this whole episode, trigger warning, suicide, sorry, I already mentioned it once and trigger warning birth awful things and trigger warning, um, Lord Byron and trigger warning, um, a lot of babies dying. So just know that. So a thing that happened that we know about because William Godwin wrote about it is that Mary was given to a wet nurse to for breastfeeding. And Mary Wollstonecraft was just like slowly dying. And the doctor was like, let's just keep her constantly drunk. And I'm not sure. And the biography I read about her by Fiona Sampson is also not sure if that was just to sort of like make her not be suffering so much because she was drunk all the time or if it was trying to be like maybe this will like clean her system somehow so she was just drunk on wine all the time she had just given birth and so her breasts were full of breast milk and so puppies came to suckle at her lactating breasts which is just mary toft level nightmarish this dying woman so william godwin saw all this happen to those women who he loved and wrote about it and then unfortunately he published it well, not unfortunately he published it, but unfortunately when he published it, this kind of wrecked Mary Wollstonecraft's reputation for a long time because he talked about how she had lovers and things. And so Mary's dad, not 
not really great with predicting the consequences of his actions. This left William Godwin alone, a widower, to raise newborn baby Mary, as well as Fanny, remember her, Mary Wollstonecraft's daughter from the French Revolution. So a year, yeah, so he published the book after, about a year after she had died. Kind of wrecked Mary Wollstonecraft's reputation, but Mary... I'm just going to call her Mary Shelley. Like, she's Mary Godwin for now, but there's other people's name changes in this, and it'll get confusing. So Mary Shelley, the little baby who would become Mary Shelley, she would grow up reading these memoirs of of her mother's death and also all the books her mother wrote, which included a lot of travelogues and diaries and personal things. And William made sure to bring up Mary to cherish her mother's memory. There was a gigantic portrait of her hanging in the middle of their room as well. So... The, there was like a family graveyard as well. Mary, I believe, learned how to write, how to read and write by tracing the letters on her mother's grave, which is like, well, how many letters were there? Well, her mother's last name was Wollstonecraft, so all of the letters. Mary's earliest years seem happy. Her father, you know what? And I respect this of him, William Godwin. He's just like, I can't do this by myself. So he turned to female family friends to help him out with what seemed to be an unusually hands-on parenting approach for this era. When Mary was four, he got married to the girl next door, who was a single mother named Mary Jane Claremont. Mary Jane Claremont is an interesting person as well, which there's, I, I need to stay on track, but just know that she is. There's a lot of people in this episode I'm going to want to talk about, but I'm going to try and stay focused on Mary Shelley. She is our goth queen mom friend, heroine. But just know that her stepmother, Mary Jane Claremont, was quite a character. Mary Jane Claremont had a daughter named Jane, who was eight months younger than Mary, and also a son, Charles, who was five. Who were their fathers? Who knows? But she had these two children, and it seems like Mary Jane Claremont just kind of like saw, potentially moved into a house next door to to William Godwin with the intent of marrying so that they could both help each other out and that she could sort of elevate herself in society. So they got married. Mary and Fanny got two new siblings. So now it's three girls and one boy. And eventually Mary Jane and William Godwin had a son who was named William also, just to keep everything confusing. So, So what's that? Jane, Mary, Fanny... Mary, Fanny, three girls, two boys is just a whole house full of people. This little Brady Bunch situation. Um, yeah. So in descending order, the children in this blended family are Fanny, Mary, Jane, Charles, and then baby William. Um, seemingly, Mary Jane preferred her children to Mary Shelley and Fanny in a sort of Cinderella scenario where she was looking out for her children more than she was her stepdaughter's. And perhaps this is part of why Mary Shelley turned, chose to become bookish and precocious and clever, as people still do now and have for a long time, as a way to just deal with the constant chaos of their personal life and not knowing how else to have control over anything. So she became very precocious, very bookish, very clever. Her father would like bring her out at dinner parties of intellectuals and stuff. And he loved that about her. He loved that she was his clever girl. And so this was also her way to like get her father to love her. We're going to see this um, psychological issue 
throughout her life story. Um, she received little formal education, like not school school, but her father tutored her on a variety of subjects. Um, he often took the children on educational outings, little field trips, and they had access to his library and to the many intellectuals who visited him, including the former vice president of the United States, Aaron Burr from Hamilton. Um, Mary, although again, she didn't go to school school, she received an unusually advanced education for a girl of the time. She had a governess, a daily tutor, and read many of her father's children's books on Roman and Greek history. By the time she was 15, her father described her as singularly bold, somewhat imperious, and active of mind. Her, knowledge, her desire of knowledge is great, and her perseverance in everything she undertakes almost invincible. And if you're wondering, but like, but what does she look like? She had pale skin and light sort of red gold hair that as she got older turned more like brown. So, which I think is suiting with her goth persona that she would develop later on. She gives me feelings of Lady Jane Grey a little bit, just sort of being a bit of a like know-it-all style teenage girl. Mary also had health problems. She which were potentially caused and or exacerbated by the stressful home situation of a stepmother who hated her. Again, the Cinderella scenario. So she spent, she was sent away to boarding school for six months um, because again, if it was because of her health in her early teens, she developed what might be like an eczema sort of skin condition on one arm and hand. It might've also been psoriasis. Like it got so bad that she was at times unable to use her arm her arm or her hand and wore a sling. So like, I'm sure at this time they were like, is this leprosy? So she went up to school and her skin cleared up, which sort of suggests that potentially, um, a psychological causation of this issue, but also it could just be that they're, they were living in like, um, you know, a place with a lot of pollutants, London in the early 1800s. They were like above a printing shop. I think they were above like her father's printing shop. So potentially just allergens. Anyway, her skin cleared up and she came home and then her skin got bad again. And so she persuaded her father to send her for fresh air, not at boarding school, but to stay with family friends in the Scottish countryside, which is what she did. And she went to the Scottish countryside twice. She did two sort of extended stays there. And in between those two extended stays, so by this time she's 16 years old, and in this era, she met the po radical poet philosopher slash fuckboy Percy Bysshe Shelley. He was married already and also the father of a young child. So, but Percy idolized Mary's father's radical beliefs, which had alienated him from his wealthy aristocratic family. Um, they wanted him to be you know, a lord or whatever, and he wanted to donate large amounts of the family's money to help the disadvantaged, which is like a cool thing to do. He also was not into monogamy or the conventions of society like Mary's parents. So, but because he had sort of alienated his rich family, he had difficulty gaining access to the money until he inherited his estate. Um, like his family wouldn't give him money until they died because they didn't want him to waste it on projects of, quote, political justice. 
so he had met Mary's dad because that was like his hero. He loved William Godwin's writing. He loved his like radical style. And so he sort of promised like, I will, he had lots of debts. Sorry. William Godwin had a lot of debts and Percy Shelley was like, I could pay off your debts. But then eventually it became obvious that he could not because he didn't have any money himself, even though his family was rich. And on top of that, Mary and Percy began meeting each other secretly at her mother, her mother's grave in the churchyard of St. Pancras Old Church. And they fell in love like two little goths that they were. Mary's stepsister, Jane, remember her, eight months younger. So Mary had like light hair, light skin. Jane was like of a darker haired thing. Anyway, Jane, BFFs, helped facilitate these meetings. So she would pass the letters back and forth. She would also, quote unquote, chaperone, which whatever that means. Um, on June 26, 1814, Mary Shelley and Percy Shelley, again, not yet married, declared their love for one another as Percy announced he could not hide his ardent passion, leading her in a sublime and rapturous moment to say she felt the same. Remember, of course, she's 16, he's 21, and also married and the father of a young child. On either that day or the next, Mary and Shelley had sex for the first time, which was her first time having sex with anyone. And allegedly this happened in the churchyard. Some people think on her mother's grave, and I feel like... That sounds possible. So, Mary was attracted to Percy Shelley. She loved his wild, intellectual, unearthly looks, and she would call him the elf because he was sort of like fragile and sort of effeminate. Percy seems to have been attracted to Mary's intellect, which was like her main, like she wielded that. But she was also very pretty. But he was also attracted to who her parents were and the fact that, like, she was a child of William Godwin and Mary Wollstonecraft. He was just like, yes, please. So they fell in love with each other. Mary assumed her father would approve because that was in line with his stated, like, his published um, concept of free love. He and his, her parents had both been into free love. They only got married for, like, legal reasons. But, in fact, he was not, he did not approve of this match of the guy who had like pretended he was going to fund him and that didn't, who was married and his own teenage daughter. So it's sort of the thing of like William Godwin believed in free love and things, but not when it comes to literally his own teenage daughter, who he loved so much because she was like the smart one. So with the help of Jane, Mary and Percy ran off together to France. Jane also came along. At around this same time, like at around the same time they ran off to France, Mary's uh, childhood writings were all destroyed. So we don't know if Mary did that herself to just be like, I'm making a new chapter in my life, like burning the journals like people still do today. Or if William did that because he was like mad at her. But that's why we have to sort of piece together what were her early years life because all of her juvenilia is gone. Even she had a box of treasured papers, including letters exchanged with her father while she was at school and in Scotland. But when they were in France, she left this box in a Paris hotel room and it was never found. Although, stay tuned for more about that. So, this is the squad. We've got Mary, we've got Percy, we've got her stepsister Jane. Uh, Jane's mother, Mary Jane, chased after them to try and force Jane to return home for the sake of her reputation, but Jane did not. So, but also again, like the stepmother, it's just like, 
fuck Mary, whatever. But like Jane has to come home. Anyway, if you didn't already think that this trip sounds like probably wouldn't go well, like in fact, it didn't go well. Three bankrupt people. Um, Mary also got horrible seasickness and she had that her whole life. She was not, she liked to be in places, but she was not a good traveler. Also, she was 16 and pregnant. Um, none of them knew what they were doing and they ran out of money. So they traveled to Paris and they had intended to go to Switzerland, but they couldn't afford to get there except for by walking there. So they ended up hired a donkey walking there with a donkey, which is like big nativity vibes with the whole teenage person named Mary, who is also pregnant. But as they traveled, they read works by Mary's mom who had written about being in France and stuff. They kept, uh, Mary and Percy kept a joint journal, like a travelogue, continued their own writing as well. Jane was not a gifted writer, but wanted to be. Um, she also just really wanted to be involved with everything. So she was, uh, for instance, at night sometimes, she would ask to sleep in their bed with them. I don't think in a sexual way, but just because she didn't like being left out of stuff. Uh, anyway, eventually lack of money forced them to turn back and go to England. So penniless. They returned to England. Mary was again surprised by her father. Her father was still mad at her, where she's like, but I'm living the ideals of you and my mom. He, in fact, refused to have anything to do with her. And I think this must have been very confusing for her because in her way, she was the ultimate, like, obedient, good child. And so she was living the way that she would have thought her mother would have wanted her to the way that she thought based on his writings, her father would have wanted her to. So she's not like rebelling at all. She's doing kind of what was expected of her. And the fact her beloved father wasn't into it must have been like very confusing for her. So uh, Mary was 16, pregnant, not married. Percy was married, not to her. Um, and he had convinced her in the way that people still do that his other partner was this horrible person so it's not like he's cheating on her. His wife, whose name was Harriet, uh, Mary just understood like, oh, you know, like Harriet in this one instance, like it's okay. I'm having the affair with Percy because Harriet actually is terrible. And also free love is cool. Um, in her later years, Mary would empathize more with Harriet and feel very badly for how she acted at this time. But again, she's 16. Um, and then the squad, again, Mary, Percy, and Jane, moved together into a flat together to avoid creditors. There's something about, like, people who have bed credit, like, on Sunday could do whatever they wanted and they couldn't be arrested, something like that. So Percy would spend six of every seven days away and with his wife Harriet, um, but then could only see Mary one day a week during his, like, get-out-of-credit-free day. So Mary was very upset by this. Uh, missed him very much. Um, he also spent a lot of time with Jane, which she was jealous of, but I guess Mary not having a good time of her pregnancy, like she wasn't able to go for walks. Uh, Percy and Jane def almost definitely were lovers as well, but Percy's whole thing was free love, so it's not like he was cheating on anyone because like, he was pretty upfront about like, here's my deal, here's what's going on. Uh, Percy's wife Harriet gave birth to a child shortly before Mary did, which is just kind of like, eee, the timing of it is very Jerry Springer show-esque. Um, because of the free love situation, Percy wanted Mary to sleep with other people too, 
And Mary wanted to want that, but she did not want that. Kind of like her mom. She thought she believed in the whole free love situation, but actually she really liked um, a monogamous domestic life, much to her surprise. So Percy had a friend called Thomas Jefferson Hogg, um, who became a friend and a confidant to Mary. And Percy was like, Mary, why don't you sleep with him? And Mary was like, Ugh. like she didn't say no right away because she really wanted to be to believe in free love. But in practice, she only loved Percy Shelley and seems to have ventured no further than flirting with Hogg, particularly because she was pregnant at this time. Um, she gave birth prematurely the to a girl who she named Clara, but the baby was two months premature, which is like still risky even now. And back then, I mean incubators didn't exist so clara died after one month this obviously made mary super depressed uh, she was haunted by visions of the baby and then she became pregnant again three months later because she was a fertile teenager and she gave birth to a second child a boy who she called william which is the third william in the story so named after her dad i guess um and he was nicknamed will mouse and we're going to call him that just to not confuse with her half-brother William or her father, also William. So meanwhile, famous uh, dirtbag Lord Byron was in London. He wasn't in London very much because he was so scandalous. He had been kind of like kicked out of London or something like that. Uh, Jane uh, schmoozed her way, even though he was like not really interested in her, but she was just like, but what about having sex with me? And she just sort of like kept on it until he did. Um, and then she fell for him. And I think it's the sort of thing, there's going to be a lot of armchair psychology in this episode, but I think it's like, she saw Mary was with this famous writer. So she's like, what if I'm also with a famous writer? Um, but he left and she, Jane was pregnant and she decided to chase him down to try and convince him to be with her and to have to be his mistress. She wrote to him a lot and he was like, please go away. And so she was like, but what if, do you want to meet my friend Percy Shelley? He's like a writer. I think you two would get along. And Lord Byron was like, I guess. So she sort of, so she got Mary and Percy to come along. They were sort of her excuse for visiting him where he was in Geneva so Mary and Percy, baby Will Mouse and Jane all went to Geneva because Jane refused to take no for an answer, kind of like Mary Wollstonecraft, frankly. Um, Mary Shelley would later write, It proved a wet, ungenial summer, and incessant rain often confined us for days to the house. Why was this? Um, so, major weather situation going on. So this is 1816. One year before, Mount Tambora in what is now Indonesia erupted, a volcano, and it filled the Earth's upper atmosphere with volcanic ash, blocking up the sun and creating a volcanic winter. This is, I'm quoting all of this from Fiona Sampson's book because she describes it well. So across the world, average temperatures are one degree centigrade lower than usual, and the anomaly is significantly greater in Western Europe, a region coincidentally already experiencing food shortages caused by the Napoleonic Wars and the British Corn Laws. This volcanic eruption is a volcanic event on a scale unequaled since the Hatepe eruption in the year 180 and killed thousands in its own region, again in modern-day Indonesia. It was also the latest in a cluster of major eruptions across the world, which since 1812 
already release large amounts of dust into the atmosphere, so when Tambora erupts, its effects are even more dramatic. Brown snow fell in Hungary and red snow in Italy. Sunsets are more colorful than they'd been before. And also this comes on top of what's known as the Little Ice Age, which is how the European climate had been cooling since the 14th century. Within this general cooling, there have also um, been cold temperatures caused by the Dalton Minimum, which is a time of exceptionally low solar activity from 1810 to 1823 that further depresses average Earth temperatures by one degree centigrade. Even today, May 1816 holds the records for the lowest sunspot activity ever recorded. So this means... During the summer that the squad spent in Geneva, there are frosts in August, crops have failed, and there's ice in the Swiss lakes. Roughly 200,000 people will die across Europe alone from these conditions. Famine has caused rioting in Switzerland, where conditions are among the worst on the continent, and the government declared a national emergency. 130 days of rain between April and September caused Lake Geneva to flood the city. And into this, we have the world's unluckiest travelers just like chilling out for the summer so and this is of course where the famous thing happens which is they're sitting inside because it's cold and rainy and volcanic ash outside and just like the awkwardness of like jane being there wanting to get with byron byron not wanting to be with her but her being pregnant mary's got a baby like anyway so they're all hanging out around the fire um, they amused themselves by sharing German ghost stories, like reading them out loud. And then Byron proposed that they each should write a ghost story. Um, Mary couldn't think of one right off the top of her head because like postpartum has a baby, lots going on. But during one evening in June, their philosophical discussions turned to the nature of the principle of life. Unable to sleep that night, she became possessed by her imagination as she beheld the grim terrors of her waking dream, her ghost story. So she started writing her entry in the ghost writing story contest, um, which would she would expand into her first novel, Frankenstein, or the modern Prometheus. She later described that summer in Switzerland as the moment when I first stepped out from childhood into life. Bear in mind, she was at this point 18 years old and the mother of a young infant. And she was just like, I'm just going to like casually like invent a genre of fiction and write one of the greatest novels of all time like while surrounded by her chaotic friends um and then the squad minus byron because byron is just like bye um they returned to england and they went to bath mostly so that jane could hide her out of wedlock pregnancy slash baby bear in mind that jane is also like 18 19 years old as well um, Mary and Percy still not married, and in fact, Percy is still married to Harriet. So they're just like two teenager, teenage sisters, um, and one of their married lover hiding out in Bath. So Mary is just like again, you know, quickly realizing like Jane and Percy are not ones to be counted on. So she's the one who's kind of figuring, let's find an apartment to live in. Let's like, how do we get groceries? Although Percy had enforced this sort of, I think it was happening by this point this especially ill-conceived vegetarian diet on them like he was like we shouldn't eat meat but they didn't eat like other protein substitutes they just ate vegetables all the time so which would contribute to mary's overall ill health one would assume 
Anyway, so while they were in Bath, Mary received alarming letters from her, from Fanny, remember, her older sister, one of which seemed so serious that Percy rushed off to find her without success. And then on the morning of October 10th, this is all like Frankenstein. She started writing in June and now it's October. That same year, um, her sister Fanny was found dead in a room in an inn, along with a suicide note and a bottle of laudanum, which is, what is it? It's absinthe mixed with opium. No. What is it? Wait. An alcoholic solution containing morphine prepared from opium um, used as a narcotic painkiller. Anyway, so she had uh, died by suicide. Her sister Fanny, who, like, again, I gave the trigger warning. There's going to be a lot of death and a lot of suicide in this story. Because, so that was October 10th, Fanny was found dead. And then two months later, on December 10th, Percy Shelley's wife, Harriet, also died by suicide. She was discovered she drowned herself in the Serpentine, a lake in Hyde Park in London. So that's a lot of things going on. Um... Harriet's family. So Percy Shelley was trying to take advantage of at this time, I believe English law was that the father would take custody of children in the instance of the mother's death. So Percy was like, well, I'm going to take, he had two children with Harriet, I think. Um, Mary was like, yes, this is fine. I'm cool with a blended family. Let's do it. So Percy Shelley wanted to get them, but Harriet's family was like, that's not going to happen because you are clearly a useless person um percy's lawyers advised him that if he percy got married again that would improve his case to get custody of the children and so he and mary who is pregnant again she is effectively constantly pregnant and or grieving for like the next 10 years of her life she's pregnant again um they got married to help him try and get custody of his other kids and then one month later jane gave birth to a daughter she named alba which is so Alba is similar to what the squad had called Lord Byron, who's if the first letters of Lord and Byron are LB. So they called him LB. And so she called his daughter Alba, which I guess was like, look, I named the daughter after our inside joke. Please let me be your mistress or whatever. Not going to work. Um, and then Percy Shelley was found morally unfit to assume custody of his children and so they were placed with a family of a clergyman. And then Mary Shelley gave birth to her third child, a daughter she named also Clara, which was the name of her first daughter who died after a month. Um, so just like children being born, people dying, drama happening. In the midst of this, Mary Shelley, aged now, what, 19, is like writing Frankenstein, one of the greatest novels of all time. Let's see. So she finished Frankenstein, which was published anonymously. Uh, re reviewers and readers assumed that Percy Shelley was the author because the book was published. He wrote a preface to it. And the book was dedicated to William Godwin, who was Mary's dad, but also Percy's hero. Let's see. And then, but he was still, Percy still in debt because his family wouldn't give him money and he was useless with money. Uh, they were also... They had ill health, again, I think, based on the vegetables-only diet. And they were also worried that because of the... They were worried that they would lose custody of their children, too. Not just, like, William and Clara. So basically, they're like, let's go to Italy. 
And Jane was like, and me too. And at this point, if you're like, why? Because you've probably heard of Jane named, changed her name from Jane Claremont to Claire Claremont, which frankly was who she was meant to be. If you had the option to be Claire Claremont, who wouldn't take that option? So Jane changed her name first to Clara, which is weird because that was the name of Mary's first dead daughter and also second daughter. But then she changed it to Claire and everyone's like, okay. Jane just like, sorry, Claire, Jane Claire, just really wanted to be the main character in this story. And she very actively was not. But did she become the main character of my heart as I was researching this? Yes, she did. Like Claire Claremont is a heroine to me now. Anyway, she's changed her name. Now she's Claire. Used to be Jane. Now she's Claire. She has her daughter, Alba. And then she's like, hey, you guys are going to Italy. Can I come along so I can like give my daughter Alba to Lord Byron because um, he is rich and I want him to raise her instead of me, a 19 year old. So they were, they left cloudy, polluted England to go to um, the warmer climates of Southern Europe. But unfortunately, at this time, um, the warm climates of Southern Europe were the breeding grounds for diseases like typhoid and dysentery, as well as cholera. And again, these three people have bad luck in traveling, but also just like don't plan ahead very well. But also, how much planning could you do? There's not photos, guides. So they headed south on like continental Europe during the first cholera pandemic, like of all time. I don't know. I just wrote the first cholera pandemic. Um, typhoid, dysentery, cholera, all particularly dangerous for foreign-born children like Wilmouse and baby Clara and Alba, who lacked immunity to local infections and have not acquired useful antibodies from their mothers. I think we all know about this by now. Um, so these were all novel diseases to these poor little children. But they're off to Italy. So... One of their first tasks was handing baby Alba over to Lord Byron, where Claire, I'm sure, tried to like be like, but I could be your mistress now. And he's like, never talk to me again. Um, he agreed to raise Alba as long as Claire had nothing more to do with her or him. And he also insisted on changing Alba's name to Allegra. So minus one baby, the Shelleys plus Claire plus two babies then embarked on a roving existence, never settling in any one place for long and devoting their time to reading, learning, sightseeing, and socializing, and also in acquiring communicable diseases. So baby Clara was fragile and ill. Um, I think she had dysentery, but Claire was like, mm, but I miss my daughter Allegra. Can we just like go visit her and also Byron? And so they went back to visit him. Um, in Venice again, but the stress of this extra trip was too much, and baby Clara died of dysentery age one. One year later, Wilmouse died of malaria age three and a half. So this Italian era was one of intense intellectual and creative activity for Mary and Percy as they both wrote a lot, and Claire just made a lot of chaos, mostly, which I stan. Mary was often physically ill, again, like eating only vegetables, um, prone to depression, obviously. I mean, both the ongoing postpartum situation and like the death of three, three children in the course of as many years. Um, she also had to cope with the fact that Percy was 
actively sleeping with Claire and also with other women because of free love. And she wanted to believe in free love. And Mary just like could not that she was not that world, that woman. She's not that girl. And then as though life is not dramatic enough in 1820, Mary and Percy were plagued by accusations and threats from two of their former servants, Paolo and Elise Foggi, who had been their servants, and then they were fired. So these two revealed that while in Naples, Percy had registered a child named Elena Adelaide Shelley, and he had registered her as the child of him and Mary. But the Foggis said, but Mary is not the mother. We think the mother is Claire Claremont. So did Percy and Claire have a secret baby? Did Percy and Mary adopt a baby? Um, Like Mary clearly did not have a baby named Elena. Mary was, so the accusations and threats, I guess, were like, we're going to say that he had a baby with your sister and everyone will say that's gross. And Mary's like, nope, Claire was not pregnant. I would have noticed. I am, I noticed things. But maybe Claire was pregnant, but they're hiding it. Anyway, we don't know who or where who was Elena Adelaide Shelley? Where did she come from? Why did Percy register her? Um, whoever she was, uh, they left her in Naples and Elena Adelaide Shelley died one year later. So that was a whole thing that happened. Um, but based on the overall lack of concern with birth control, I would not be surprised if Percy and Claire had a baby. Although I don't know if Claire would have like left the baby Anyway, so after leaving Naples, they went to Rome. While in Rome, Mary began writing one of her other, like another novel, Valerius, the Reanimated Roman, which is frankly an excellent title. But um, again, William died and she stopped writing because obviously she was sad. Um, She was also pregnant. So because she was also, she was always grieving and or pregnant, like I said. So... Five months after Wilmos died, Mary had another baby whose she named Percy Florence. So Percy after his dad, Florence after the city they're in. I just want to like remind you by now that she's still only 22. Like she has written one of the greatest novels of all time. She has had four children, three of whom have died in infancy. Like she's between, you know, she's 16 years old, just kind of being like, can I go to Scotland for the summer? And now just like where her life has landed her is quite extreme. Um, Two years pass and then Mary pregnant, you know, evergreen always. So the squad, Claire, still always there. Um, And there's two new squad members who are Edward and Jane Williams, who are also people who are super into free love and they're like common law married, but not married, married. Um, Jane Williams is Percy's lover as well. Mary is just kind of like long suffering. Like I understand what Harriet lived with now. Um, And they went to a place called Villa Magni at the sea's edge near the hamlet of San Terenzo in the Bay of Lerici. And while they were there, the squad learns that Claire's daughter Allegra, who had been taken in by kind nuns who loved her, because Byron was not going to, like, raise a baby, had died of typhus. So just, like, yet more child death. So they're in this cool place, but everyone's not doing well 
for a multitude of grief-related reasons. Mary was especially unhappy in the Villa Magni, which was remote and which was cramped. She came to regard it as a dungeon. It was like her, her husband, his husband, her husband's like two lovers. Like she had a miscarriage um, and lost so much blood that she nearly died. But because the villa was so isolated, had they waited for a doctor, she might have bled out and died. So Percy uh, sat her in a bath of ice to staunch the bleeding. And act the doctor later said actually saved her life. So good job, Percy. So he saved her life, but he was still fucking around because he's just like, oh, Mary, you're no fun with your like depression and your like reasonable reactions to life's events. And you're like wanting to be domestic with me, which to be fair, like Percy had never presented himself as someone to be domestic with. Mary, just like her mother, um, discovered um, too late that she kind of wanted that more traditional life. Anyway, so then... Percy and Edward got a new boat they were really excited about. They called it the Don Juan, and they went sailing down the coast. And they stayed there for a week, and then they set out on their return trip, but they never arrived. So Mary and her friend Jane Williams, there's a lot of Janes in this story as well. So, like, another, again, it's like useful Claire, changed her name to Claire. So Mary and Jane rushed desperately um, in the fading hope that their husbands were still alive to see if they had just like washed up somewhere or whatever. But 10 days after the storm, three bodies washed up on the coast. Oh, the third body was their boat boy, Charles Vivian. Anyway, the three bodies washed up. It was Percy. It was Edward. It was Charles Vivian. Percy Shelley was cremated, but for some goth reason, his heart refused to burn. Um, doctors, these days theorized perhaps that his heart might have calcified due to an earlier boat with tuberculosis i think it's just goth as fuck so percy's friend lee hunt originally claimed the heart because he was there for the funeral cremation and felt he had a right to keep it who are you lee hunt like eventually mary got the heart and she kept it in her drawer because she is our goth queen mom friend so Oh, here, here's who Lee Hunt is. So after Percy died, Mary stayed living with Lee Hunt and his family in Genoa. She visited with Byron because she got along with Byron. Um, Claire was not around, presumably. Um, she transcribed Byron's poems. She resolved that now that she was a single mom, she was going to make a job of being a writer. But her financial situation was precarious. You know, it is still now for writers, but then for writers and because, you know, printing press, still newish invention. Um, her being a woman, people not being cool with a woman writer. The fact that she's like, I'm just going to like be a writer. That'll be my career. Again, pro probably inspired by her mom and dad. So, but meanwhile, so Jane Edmonds, the, whose husband Edward, Edward had also died in the shipwreck, who had been sleeping as Percy's, sleeping with Percy Meanwhile, her co-widow, Jane, the widow of Edward, who also died in the shipwreck and who had been uh, sleeping with Percy, she went back to England and she kind of like danced all around just being like, mm, hi, it's me, Jane, and I am the true love of Percy Shelley's life. Mary is his just like cold, distant widow, but like she's not even sad, really. And that's because Mary was at this point, she dealt with so much 
death and just like awfulness in her life. Like she was stoic in the face of tragedy. But Jane was like, that's because Mary never loved him. Only I loved him. And it was really a lot like how Mary had been against Harriet in the first place. So, but Jane still pretended to be friends with Mary, wrote her letters being like, could you stay in Italy? I think it's good for you if you stay in Italy so that Jane could like continue to slander her all over London. And then Jane won the heart of Thomas Jefferson Hogg. Do you remember him? He was the guy who had been, who Percy wanted Mary to sleep with before. And he was like Mary's good friend. So anyway, they eventually got married. So it's kind of, seems like Thomas Jefferson Hogg just kind of liked to be in love with whoever Percy was in love with and not really the person at all. So just like, fuck that guy. Mary eventually returned to England in 1823. And so Percy's dad, Sir Timothy Shelley, um, she was kind of hoping, hey, you're rich and things. Can you like support me and your grandson, Percy Florence? But Sir Timothy was like, only if I, only if Percy Florence is handed over to an appointed guardian. Mary's like, no. I'm staying with my son. Like, I love him so much. And so she managed to convince Sir Timothy to give her a limited annual allowance. But he refused to meet her in person ever um, and dealt with her only through lawyers because he was, he sucked. And I guess because the whole, like, scandal of it all or whatever. Mary Shelley was like, fine, I got the money. I don't need to, like, have face-to-face time. She worked, um, she edited Percy's poems and other literary endeavors um, because she wanted, she loved Percy and she wanted people to see his work and for him to be a famous poet. And she actually was very successful with that with her collections of his poems. Sir Timothy was like, okay, but if you write any sort of biography of him, I will cut off your allowance. So Mary Shelley wasn't really able to like write an ode to him like her father had done for her mother she was not doing well financially she had this allowance she had some money from writing but she was basically living in poverty um i think her dad liked her again though she got to hang out with her dad and some of his like smart philosophical philosopher friends and things but there's still lots of people who still disapproved of her relationship with percy bish shelley because of the whole him being married when they got together situation um, Mary moved to Kentish Town in North London to be near Jane Williams, who she did not realize had been badmouthing her own England for two years actively. Mary was working on her novel, The Last Man, at this time. And, oh, this is a section I call Mary Shelley, Ally. So, one of Mary's actual friends, not a jerk like Jane, was Isabel Robinson. And Isabel Robinson actually is the one who eventually told her like Jane has been spreading lies about you saying like you never loved Percy that like Percy loved her and stuff. Isabel Robinson was also an unmarried mother. Mary helped Isabel elope to France as the wife of the writer Mary Diana Dodds. So I don't know much about Mary Diana Dodds but I do know that she cross-dressed as Walter Sholto Douglas. So Mary Shelley an ally to this queer couple uh, Mary helped them obtain false passports. And then when they were in Paris, she went to visit them in Paris because they're all pals and Mary Shelley ally. Um, when she was in Paris, Mary got smallpox because like what has this woman not been through? But she recovered. Um, during the period 1827 to 1840, Mary Shelley stayed busy as an editor and a writer. 
she wrote several things, but I want to especially note she wrote a novel called The Fortunes of Perkin Warbeck. Perkin Warbeck is a person who, in real life, has a great name. And he lived in the War of the Roses era. And so he was a guy who, you remember the Princess in the Tower scenario? Where Elizabeth Woodville's sons were like trapped in the tower. And then Richard was like, I don't know what happened to them. I guess they're just gone or whatever. So, I don't know, 20 years later, a guy showed up and he's like, my name is Perkin Warbeck. But AKA, I'm actually one of the princes in the tower and I should be the king and stuff. Mary Shelley wrote about it. I feel like she was part of our tits out brigade like in the scandalous history stories, writing a little book about it. Um, she also kept championing Percy Shelley's poetry, promoting its publication, quoting it in her writing, just like really making him a star, but also sort of whitewashing his life story so that people wouldn't think less of him for his like free love ideals and stuff. Um, she was sick. Like, I think she was just had illness a lot, not just smallpox, but remember like the eczema slash psoriasis slash leprosy starting in 1839, she suffered from horrible headaches and bouts of paralysis, which sometimes prevented her from reading and writing. But her main thing she worried about was the welfare of her son, Percy Florence, who guess what survived into adulthood. Thank God. She honored her husband, her late husband's wish that his son attend public school and had him educated at Harrow. Sir Timothy helped pay for that to avoid boarding fees because she was, again, not rich. She moved to Harrow on the hill herself so Percy could attend just as a day student. Percy Florence was devoted to his mother. Good for him. And after he left university, he came to live with her. So this is the part how Mary got her groove back. Mary was courted by an American actor-poet called John, John Howard Payne, but she refused him after he attempted to define the relationship. Also, while she was in France with her queer friends and having smallpox, a poet and dramatist called Prosper Merimee announced that he was in love with her, but she rejected him. We're just friends, Prosper Merimee, she said, I imagine. She fell for Aubrey Beauclerk who was an Anglo-Irish aristocrat. They seem to have had an affair. And Mary was like, I think I found the one, you guys. Like she's writing in her diary. She thought he was going to propose to her, but instead he proposed to a 19-year-old heiress, presumably for money reasons. Mary was super upset about this. And then she either got the flu or just like super depressed. Like she fell ill with sadness. Um, but after six years, his... The 19-year-old, who I guess then became a 25-year-old, uh, drowned by accident in a pond, which to me sounds very suspicious, but I read a lot of mystery novels. So Mary was like, oh my God, he's available again. So she thought maybe he'd propose to her now, but he didn't. And she's like, well, I'll just go on Italy, on holiday to Italy with Percy Florence. And when I come back, maybe he'll propose to me. But when she gets back, he's already married another woman 20 years younger than Mary. So not meant to be. Mary recorded her trips with Percy Florence in more travel memoirs. She was just like, like people today, she's just like the hustle economy, like everything she did, she turned into a memoir. So she could always have more books. She's like writing novels. She goes on a trip. But after the trip, she turns the trip into a book. Like everything is just like, because she has a literary spirit, but also needs money. So um, Sir Timothy Shelley finally died. And then Mary and Percy Florence got to be financially independent for the first time ever. 
which is good because at this time, Mary found herself the target of three separate blackmailers first. In 1845, an Italian political exile called Gatteschi, who she had met in Paris, threatened to publish letters she had sent him, I guess, allegedly sexy letters. A friend of Percy Florence bribed a police chief into seizing the papers, including the letters which were then destroyed. So she outsmarted that first blackmailer. Um, Shortly afterwards, Mary Shelley herself bought some letters that she and Percy had written. Okay, so a man called G. Byron was posing as the illegitimate son of Lord Byron. And he said, I've got some sexy letters that you wrote with Percy and I'm going to like publish them or whatever. And Mary had worked so hard to like make Percy's reputation better. So she bought the letters from him, but they were probably all fake. Or maybe there was no letters. I'm not sure. Um, And then also in 1845, Percy's cousin Thomas Medwin claimed to have written a damaging biography of Percy Shelley. He said he would suppress it in return for 250 pounds. Mary refused. And I guess he was probably lying. The thing about the person who had the letters, though, that could have been, remember way back, she lost the box of letters in the hotel in Paris. Like, she wasn't famous then, but if someone found it. So I think she knew, like, it could have been letters. And then her son Percy Florence married yet another Jane, Jane Gibson Sinjin. You see how I pronounce that? That's what British people say, St. John. So Jane Gibson Sinjin married Percy Florence and Mary lived with them both and I think they're all cool like they lived in the Shelley family ancestral home they had money they all got along things were good except for Mary had illnesses um in 1851 she was aged 53 she becomes gravely ill and falls into a coma and she dies of what seems to have been a brain tumor so Mary Shelley had asked to be buried with her parents but her son and daughter-in-law decided that the graveyard at St. Pancras, the one where Mary had like gone on all the walks with Percy, where she had maybe lost her virginity to him, where she learned how to read. Um, Percy Florence and Jane were like, this place is dreadful. So instead, we're going to bury her at St. Peter's Church in Bournemouth near their home. On the first anniversary of Mary Shelley's death, her son and daughter-in-law opened her desk, or she had a box desk. I don't know, a desk that is also a box inside they found locks of her dead children's hair a notebook she had shared with percy shelley and a copy of his poem adonais with one page folded round a silk parcel containing some of his ashes and his heart literally goth as fuck she just kept his heart with her in her desk all the time her grave was reopened and the heart was buried with her so Um, In her own lifetime, Mary Shelley was taken seriously as a writer. The reviewers often missed her writing's political edge. So her book was first published anonymously, but then later is published with her own name, which is, there's a movie version, I think it's called Mary Shelley, and it stars Elle Fanning, and I like it a lot. She's, it's just, I love Elle Fanning in a historical movie. She's just like slouching around, like super pale and gaunt, just looking like goth queen. There's a nice moment where it shows how her father helped to have the book be published under her name. So this is like similar era to uh, Jane Austen, for instance. And Jane Austen's books were all just published by, quote, a lady. So the fact that Mary Shelley had books published by her name was pretty major. And she so she was a writer during what must have seemed like the dawning of a new age of gender relations. However, 
Queen Victoria became queen in 1837 and would bring with her long reign a newly conservative era of gender relations. So again, from the biography by Fiona Sampson, it's a really good biography. Mary's literary life could be seen as the last stuttering of the revolutionary spark that her mother, Mary Wollstonecraft, ignited. Other English women writers of the 19th century, like the Bronte sisters, would publish using male pen names. Anne Evans would publish as George Eliot. Like, this could have been a moment where more women write under their own names, but instead, that is not what happened. Directly after her death, and for a long time, Mary was mostly remembered as the wife of Percy Bysshe Shelley because she had worked so hard to make him really famous to the detriment of her own acclaim. But although the author of Frankenstein, like Frankenstein was very popular, has always been very popular, always in print. Um, it was turned into plays like right away because copyright was not a thing then or something. Anyway, like she went to go see some of the plays. She's like, how cool. Someone made a play of my book. Too bad I didn't get money for it. So she was kind of like, Mary Shelley, isn't this cute? She wrote Frankenstein and was married to Percy Bysshe Shelley, who was a wonderful, famous person. But um, in 1989, it took until 1989 that the first full-length scholarly biography of Mary Shelley was published, which was by Emily Sunstein. It's called Mary Shelley, Romance and Reality. And part of the reason, so Mary had sort of tried to make Percy more palatable after he died. And then her son, Percy Shelley, and Jane also tried to sort of whitewash her memory by censoring biographical documents. And so this helped contribute to the perception that Mary Shelley was a more conventional and less um, reformist figure than she actually was. She was actually quite radical. And just kind of the way that she behaved after Percy Shelley died, like the way that she avoided public controversy, the way that she just kind of kept to herself, added to the impression that she was just like a quiet, little mousy, little wifey person. And then also, some other people like Thomas Jefferson Hogg and other admirers of Percy Shelley also downplayed Mary Shelley's radicalism and kind of what she was like in general. But here, now we all know the truth. Um, and that's Mary Shelley. So time to give her a score. Now, this is where it's interesting. And I've been thinking about this, honestly, all week, knowing I was going to be recording this. Scandaliciousness for Mary Shelley. Because of who her parents were and the way she was raised, like the way that she behaved was not scandalous because this was how she was raised to behave. Like she wasn't bucking, well, she was bucking conventional society, but she kind of thought she was being good, you know? She wasn't like, I'm going to run away with my boyfriend and be a cool rebel. She was like, I'm going to run away with the man I love and like, is a statement of the philosophical concept of free love as advocated by both of my parents, both noted academics. Like, that's not, everyone saw it as a scandalous thing, but to her it wasn't. And the way that she lived her life, like she was, in contrast to, for instance, Claire Claremont, like, she's the goth queen mom friend. Like, she was surrounded by all these outsized chaotic characters but mary was like the responsible one so i feel like this might be controversial but i'm gonna give her i was gonna give her a five i'm gonna give her a six for scandaliciousness because even though her intent was not scandalous, like it was taken as such by society but it's not like that's i wouldn't say more than a six like she was actually very responsible 
in the context in which who she was surrounded by. Scheminess is like, this is also challenging. Like, do you consider her writing scheming? Like, do you consider the fact that she like schemed ways to get money? Like, I think she was, I think that's how we'd have to, because she wasn't, again, Claire Claremont, scheminess, much higher level. Mary Shelley, though, like, like she was very, um, I don't know, you know, she's like a radical revolutionary and stuff, but she wasn't like scheming. I don't think, I think she was, but like, she was like, I'm going to write a book. I'm going to publish it under a pseudonym. Then I'm going to like get Sir Timothy to like pay us some money. Like, I mean, if her six for scheminess as well, like it's not, she wasn't scheming to like murder people or whatever, but she was like, she had a plan and she executed it. And I respect that significance. I have no problem with a 10 that is like her significance to like she invented horror novels in the English language like that is like Frankenstein is a cultural thing that like everybody knows still to this day like how many of Percy Shelley's poems does anyone know you know like she's significance is major and also the fact that she was like a woman writing like very significant I would say Um, I think she would say I'm significant because I made people care about Percy Shelley and I'd be like, I love you, but no one cares about Percy Shelley. The sexism bonus is, so this is kind of like how much, how did sexism get in her way of achieving her goals and dreams? And I think she achieved her goals and dreams. I think what got in her way was kind of society looking down on her and the fact that she had had these children out of wedlock, which I guess is sexism, really. Like, it's the patriarchy. was making it hard for her to be a woman writer, making it hard for her to to get money for anything because she was so, so shunned from society. But that's more like society than it is, like, sexism. I'm going to say, just because, like, she was publishing books and she had to hide her name in the first place. Seven. Seven for sexism. Which is a 29. 29 from Mary Shelley. I think that's great. You know who else is a 29? Elizabeth Bathory. So maybe it's just a cool score for somebody who is a Halloween super special subject. 29. I feel good about it. So other people are 29. Lady Catherine Gray has a 29. Elizabeth Bathory is a 29. Lady Jane Gray, 29.5. And didn't I say that Mary Shelley kind of reminded me of Lady Jane Gray a little bit? So that's Mary Shelley. It's a whole, it's a journey. I came out of, like I'd read about her before, but I like really dug into it this time. And I came out of this like really super respecting her, but also just being like really interested in Claire Claremont to the point that I feel like I'm going to do a Claire Claremont full episode because she's just like chaos incarnate. And I love the fact that she's just like fucking up everybody's lives constantly. And she lived the longest out of anyone from the squad, Claire Claremont. Um, so this is Vulgar History. My name is Anne Foster. Here's some little reminders. So especially because I was talking so much about the biography in search of Mary Shelley, I'll have a link to that in the show notes, but I super recommend it. It's a great book. Um, and you can find that and other books that I recommend that I have recommended on this podcast at my little bookshop page, which is bookshop.org slash shop slash vulgar history. I've also got inspired by Mary Shelley, 
some new merch in the merch store. I've got t-shirts and a fanny pack that say goth queen mom friend because I feel like what's more mom friend than having a fanny pack you know you keep all your stuff in there just to keep your friends Claire Claremont Percy Lord Byron you're just like ooh, do you need some Advil Ooh, do you need a tampon like anyway goth queen mom friend is there um there's also one that called that I is just called witch out which is like tits out but it's witch out I don't know I thought it was cute Anyway, so the store is at vulgarhistory.store, vulgarhistory.store. Remember, you can use code TITSOUT for free U.S. shipping or TITSOUT10 for 10% off your order. If you want to support this podcast, you can do so, or slash me. I have a Patreon page, which is patreon.com slash Writer, and that's where you get early access to episodes of Vulgar History, and then you also get to vote in polls to help me decide who to talk about. Like next week's subject is going to be someone who the Patreons chose for me. And then also in the Patreon, I do monthly mini episodes called So This Asshole, where I talk about gross men from history, which also the Patreons help me often choose who to talk about. And after all of this, I feel like Lord Byron and or Percy Shelley could get a cute little episode there. Anyway, patreon.com slash Writer. I super appreciate everyone who supports me there. And if you want to support me without spending money, you can go onto Apple Podcasts or wherever you are, except for Spotify, because you can't leave reviews on Spotify. But if you are on Spotify, you could just like open a different podcast app and leave a little review for me because or rating the five stars. You know, that whole thing. I appreciate it, but also it helps us with like the algorithms and whatever. You can follow me in the podcast at on Instagram at Vulgar History Pod on Twitter at Vulgar History, and talk to you next week. Keep your mask on and your tits out. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. And sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.